Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we begin a series on the importance of innovation and how it lies at the core of investment opportunities. For this episode, we look at the innovation driving sustainability and how it is shaping the future of investing, with Miles Sherry, investment consultant, Ian Aylward, Head of Manager Selection, Dan Hunt, Investment Consultant, and Hamish Chamberlain, Head of Global Sustainable Equities at Janice Henderson. To find out about starting your investing journey with Barclays, visit barclays.co.uk forward slash investments. Hello and welcome back to Word on the Street. So a few weeks back, we looked at innovation in the context of the pandemic and whether as well it may have accelerated the so-called fourth industrial revolution. It was episode 118. If you did happen to miss it, well worth a listen. And as a follow-on from that, we thought we'd delve into a few specific areas of innovation over the next few weeks or so, starting today with sustainability, which is, of course, a very topical area at the moment. And so to cover this off, I'm joined by fellow investment consultant Dan Hunt, our head of fund manager selection, Ian Elwood, and we're also delighted as well to welcome Hamish Chamberlain uh, too. So Hamish is Head of Global Sustainable Equities at Janice Henderson and also Lead Manager for their Global Sustainable Equity Fund, which is on our approved list and also held within Barclays' own Multi-Impact Growth Fund. Both of those funds are available on our Smart Investor platform or via your Wealth Manager. I should add that the discussion today, both in terms of the two funds I referenced there and any companies mentioned as well to bring this discussion to life should not be taken as investment advice. So Hamish, thank you for your time today. It's great to have you on to get some insights from one of our managers actually specializing in this area. But perhaps before we get into the detail, it's worth you just giving us a bit of a brief overview as to how you view and actually approach sustainability in general. Thanks, Miles. Yes, it's a, it's a pleasure to be on the call today. And I think the first thing I'd like to start with is just to underline the fact that we have this very high conviction that there's this strong alignment between generating investment returns and thinking about big sustainability issues. And I think what we do is we have a very well-structured approach in how we take big sustainability issues and incorporate them into our investment approach. And at the core of that, at the foundation of that, is the consideration of these environmental and social megatrends that are putting the global economy under such enormous pressure and they have very far-reaching investment implications. So we look at things such as climate change, uh, resource constraints, and that concerns all of our natural resources, both renewable and non-renewable, including our biodiversity. We're looking at sort of big social trends around growing populations, around aging demographics. And then we're thinking about what are the companies that are producing goods and services that are of benefit to, or in alignment with the development of a sustainable global economy. And I suppose at its core, and you've already mentioned this, But at its core, we believe there's a very strong link between sustainability and innovation. We see the big sustainability problems ultimately being solved by innovation. So that's a core part of our investment process. Got you. And thinking specifically about innovation, is there anything you're seeing that particularly excites you in the world of sustainability? And are you maybe seeing more companies change how they consider the idea of sustainability today versus, say, five years ago. It certainly feels like a lot has changed in a pretty short space of time, really. It really has. And if I look back over the last 10 years, uh, and, and that's how long I've been managing this, this strategy, 
uh, it's really interesting to see how companies have started or so many more companies today are putting sustainability considerations at the heart of their business strategies and their product development. So we do see this as a cross-economy, cross-sector phenomenon, and every single sector has ultimately got to innovate in order to reach a more sustainable footing. Now, in our investment approach, we do have some very clear red lines about certain types of sectors that we won't invest in, ultimately those that we don't see as having a long-term future. Uh, So, of course, we are a low-carbon fund. We think that's a really important feature of our investment approach, that we integrate low-carbon investing or thought processes into absolutely everything we do. And there's a huge amount of innovation around this low-carbon energy transition. Uh, This year, we're very excited because we've recently had the G7. We've had many countries committing now, all the G7 countries committing to net zero carbon, which is a huge announcement. And actually very close to that G7 meeting, the International Energy Agency published a net zero report, which highlighted the scale of investment that's required in order to get to net zero carbon. And this is ultimately where we see a huge amount of innovation happening. And uh, I think the the acronym that we like to talk about here, and I apologise because there are so many acronyms in sustainable investing, but I'm going to explain this one and hopefully you will all find it very clear, is the DEAD nexus. And that's D-E-D. And that stands for digitalization, electrification and decarbonisation. So we see a very powerful, virtuous circle of innovation around those three pillars of digitalization, electrification and decarbonisation. And also, when we look at the scale of investment that's required in order to decarbonize our economies across multiple different sectors, we're finding lots of very promising ideas um, and, and that we're very excited about over the coming decade. Just such a fascinating area. Haven't, haven't actually heard of that uh, abbreviation before, but certainly one I will remember. But look, we'll come back to you shortly, Hamish, but maybe turning quickly to you, Ian, you and your team meet a lot of managers on a regular basis. So what are you hearing from those focusing on sustainability and ESG both broadly and in terms of specific companies too. It's probably also worth reminding us what we actually mean by ESG as a concept in itself. Sure. Hi, Miles. We are seeing a vast array of things, a vast number of things from our managers in this space with regards to innovation. Maybe, as you say, I'll just break it down into each of the E, S and the G. E is environmental, S is social, G is governance. You know, I'll perhaps just give one instance of each. You know, Hamish is far better placed than me to get into details and he can use his own funds holdings as an example. But some of the most common areas we hear about are under the E for environmental. There's this uh, water innovation, such as smart irrigation and flow measurement. To give uh, an example under the S for social, then we have drugs that help with early detection of diseases or anti-obesity. And, and you can imagine, you know, as an aside, just how coronavirus has, has lessened some of the red tape and hastened progress in this you know, broad medical space. And then finally, under the, the G for governance, um, we're seeing payment systems being innovated that, that prevent uh, fraud, for example. I might just give uh, one example, Miles, to, to bring it to life. That's Xylem as a stock example. Now, this falls under the water theme that I mentioned earlier. Um, Xylem's products actually help customers solve water scarcity. They increase water systems resilience to climate change and other environmental challenges. And they address water affordability issues by treating and managing scarce water resources. 
Now, that's especially true of non-revenue water. I've never, I've never heard of non-revenue water before. But Can't it turns out, no, but let me tell you what it is, because I looked this up and it's water that has been treated, but fails to reach the end user because of leaks, theft or poor metering. Now, in the US alone, one in every six gallons of treated water is lost in this way. Non-revenue water losses range from 10 to 60 percent. And, and you know, this this company is right in the epicenter of, of helping customers to make you know, their capital investments more efficient by addressing such such leakage. Great example there. But Dan, let's bring you in, because I know you've been particularly interested in this space for quite some time and speak to clients, of course, on a regular basis. It's obviously a bit generic, but how are you generally finding that they are actually approaching this subject? Yeah, it's really interesting, Miles. And I guess specifically on the topic of, of sustainability, there's no doubt clients are, are more interested in the topic. I'm definitely having more conversations around what sustainability means and also you know, what it can look like as well. These conversations tend to manifest themselves in a, a couple of different ways. So the, the first is, is clients proactively asking for these types of investments or asking about how we incorporate sustainability into our investments more broadly. Also, what we're finding is clients are wanting to discuss these types of investments specifically if they're considering gifting assets to, to future generations. As I guess one example where we're, we're having increasing conversations around sustainability. Usually these kinds of topics centre around environmental, social and governance factors or ESG, which Ian and Hamish have already alluded to and as it's commonly known but also a variety of themes within sustainability. I also think that, that clients are more receptive to us being more proactive on the subject and discussing these topics and, and types of investments without there being any particular catalyst from the clients themselves. They're certainly interested in, in what it involves. On innovation, the, the nature of the, the conversations here are inevitably very broad and, and fluid, but they have focused a lot recently on what the pandemic has has resulted in so you look at how we've all had to adapt to a different environment over over the last 18 months there's been significant changes in how we we lead our day-to-day -day lives you know we've had to adapt in order to to carry on with some semblance of normality but businesses have had to adapt as well and part of that is is the need to is the need to innovate i guess looking forward you can see, uh, I guess more broadly, how the need to be more sustainable moving towards a green economy is going to require some drastic changes, not, not just in reducing emissions, but doing more with less in order for the economy of the future to, to be sustainable. You know, again, you know, Hamish touched on a, a number of, of long-term challenges and themes that, that need to be tackled. And it's clear from these challenges uh, and these themes that there is a need for innovation. And this creates opportunities for, for companies who can innovate, but also as well, investors can ultimately benefit from, from this innovation. Absolutely. But when having those discussions with clients about sustainability and the innovation that we've seen in this space, do you specifically focus on any particular areas? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think that the main focus for me initially is breaking down this this preconception that a lot of clients have that it's just about kind of clean energy or, or wind turbines 
you can see that the breadth of sustainability issues in, in the number and the nature of the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals, and ultimately there are 17 of them. And it, But even when you do focus on emissions, it, it covers so much more than clean energy. It covers manufacturing as well, residential and commercial building efficiency, transport, farming, you know, all of these areas and more need to reduce emissions significantly. So that that's generally a good starting point. I think thinking more broadly about some of the, the topics, again, that Hamish touched on, these are long-term challenges that, that are going to be an area of focus for, for the next 30 years. And I think it's important to have that long-term view in mind. And also, you know, that, that presents an attractive opportunity set. And when you piece this all together, you know, you, you build up this compelling picture, you know, demonstrating the, the breadth of the challenges, but also of the opportunities, opportunities for both, you know, those who behave in a responsible manner, driving their efficiency and, and utilizing innovations that are being made, as well as those companies who, you know, more directly are able to, to innovate and provide solutions to these sustainability challenges. But I think with all that in mind, you know, setting that broad context overall, I, I do find the best way to fully bring this to life is discussing companies that, that are doing these things right now. Yeah, spot on. Couldn't agree more, really. And I suppose that brings us nicely back to you, Hamish, because I'm sure our listeners would be interested to hear of a few examples of different companies you invest in and some of the considerations you made when coming to a decision on them. I've always liked the phrase you've used before, is the world a better place because of this company? And as I said earlier, these should, of course, not be taken as investment advice. It's just to give a few examples to really try and bring this conversation to life. Sure. Yes. Thanks. And and uh, you know, I I think you know Dan articulated the the, the sort of the, the investment considerations around sustainability very very clearly, and and certainly uh, you know how we how we think about um, setting out um, on our investment approach. But yes, that first question is the world a better place because of this company? That is the very first question we ask ourselves when we're looking at an investment idea. And the key challenge is how do you define better? And that's where we've got a very clear framework for evaluating new ideas and we have we, what we have is the uh, the four pillars of our sustainability driven investment process where we have positive sustainable development investment themes we have very clear negative criteria sort of avoidance criteria on the types of businesses that we won't invest in with clear thresholds and then we have deep fundamental analysis where we do operational ESG analysis so for us it's not just about investing in a water technology water technology company we have to invest in a water technology company that's well managed and that is thinking carefully about both its environmental and social footprint um, in relation to its manufacturing facilities and in relation to its human capital and engagement with employees and its broader stakeholders. So defining better on the positive side, we have these 10 themes, these 10 sustainable development investment themes that guide our idea generation. And we have five environmental themes and five social themes. And, and what I really want to get across here is, well, hopefully this will, this, what this will illustrate is the breadth of the opportunity set. I think a lot of people are slightly worried that there's been a lot of capital flowing into sustainability or ESG, however that may be defined by the various people marketing their products. And people are a bit cautious perhaps about valuations in some parts of the market. I think the important thing I want to get across is that there is a breadth of opportunity set, that it's possible to find attractive opportunities still. So we look at these opportunities through these 10 themes, and these, these are how we define better. On the environmental side, we have cleaner energy, we have sustainable transport, we have environmental services, water management, and we have 
efficiency. And then on the social side, we have things such as themes such as knowledge and technology, safety, health, sustainable property and finance, and quality of life. And perhaps if I just give a quick example of, of names from each one of these themes to illustrate the breadth here. First of all, starting with cleaner energy, and I think it's completely right that perhaps some people still have this view that sustainability is all about cleaner energy. Cleaner energy is a really important about part of sustainability, but it's not the only part. And actually, cleaner energy represents 4% of our total fund. So we've got some good investments in there, but it's certainly by no means the whole story. And we've got some long-term investments in some renewable energy developers, two of which are based in Canada, Borelex and Inagex. And I think that's what's so exciting about being a global investor is that we do have this global opportunity set. We do get to look at the most exciting companies in their respective sectors from around the world. In efficiency, we have a company called IPG Photonics, which is the world leading manufacturer of fiber lasers. Now, officially, this is a technology company, but its end markets are in heavy manufacturing and industry. And fiber lasers are the most efficient lasers in the world. They're 20 times more efficient than traditional carbon dioxide lasers, and they're much more efficient than traditional cutting tools. And these are actually, interestingly, being used in a lot of clean technology applications. So if you went to a solar manufacturing plant or a battery manufacturing plant or an electric car manufacturing plant, you would see fiber lasers in action. And we see them as a key tool for enabling that clean technology economy. Again, hopefully that illustrates the diversity with which we can approach the opportunity set. On the social side, perhaps if I jump to the social side, and uh, just to illustrate again the diversity there, social is not just about drugs and, and health. Health is one of our themes, and we have some very good companies in that theme. We've got some health insurance companies, we've got health software companies, and we've got some diagnosis companies in there. But in our other themes, such as quality of life, I think it's really important to remember that when you stand back and think about social social themes or companies that are having a positive impact on our societies, on our cultures, uh, we've got to look across a very broad swathe of companies. I think it's always important to just be grounded and recognize that we do live in a real world and we all do consume. And it's important to be investing in companies that are producing the goods and services that we want and need as consumers and are doing so in a sustainable fashion. So we're very focused on healthy, active lifestyles. Uh, we invest in sporting goods companies. We also invest in food companies that have got healthy products um, or sort of healthy natural ingredients. We also like entertainment companies. Entertainment companies have got strong stewardship over their content. Uh, we see entertainment as a very important aspect of what it means to sort of you know, have, a, have a positive and, and growing society with positive cultural impact. And then finally, perhaps one of our sort of strongest themes is the knowledge and technology theme. And again, coming back to this idea of innovation and growth and how we're going to solve these big sustainability issues. And we see the technology sector as having a key role to play. And there's so much diversity just within that sector. As I've already mentioned, IPG Photonics is a technology company, and yet its end markets are heavy industry and manufacturing. Just to sort of capture digitalization, you know, why is digitalization important? Why is that aligned with sustainability? Well, last year, we had the steepest decline in carbon emissions on record. And that was obviously very closely linked with this whole sort of working from home movement and the stopping of, 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 of travel and sort of physical activities in, you know, in a result of the pandemic. I'm not arguing that this is the world that we want to live in. Um, it, you know, hopefully these lockdowns will come to an end. But what I do think that the um, last year does show or illustrate is that how there is this alignment between digitalization and actually reducing our physical impact on the world, or sort of how we can reduce our carbon footprint. And again, I think a really interesting example to show the link between digitalization and electrification 
is to consider LED light, light bulbs. And really LED light, you're going from a, if you're moving from a traditional halogen light bulb, where you've got an electric filament, which you heat up using electricity and that gives out light. Well, by switching to LEDs, you're using a, the, electri the electricity sort of, you know, to create a digital signal and it's a digital signal that creates the light. So you're going from analog to digital and lighting and actually LED lights can transmit digital data much faster than Wi-Fi, in fact. And, and, and I think that's a really nice example to show this close link between digitalization and electrification. And so earlier this year, we had Volkswagen actually gave a, uh, an investor day and they had a fantastic slide in there which showed their vision of what the future economy looks like. And it was this sort of electric blue cloud. And within this electric blue cloud were buildings, were factories, were cars, infrastructure. And then there was this sort of, you know, all glued together with software. And that's the digital electric future. Once you electrify things, you then enable these things to communicate. And that's when software and digitalization comes in. So there's a very close harmony between these things. And we're obviously standing on the cusp of what we believe is a transformational decade ahead of us. This is the decade where we believe that we will see a significant acceleration in the adoption of electric vehicles. The, the International Energy Agency, in its report for a net zero future, highlighted that electric car production has to increase by a factor of 20 over the coming decade. And when we look around the world and we see the plans of all these automotive makers, we see this as being a very predictable and bankable theme. And the things that we're focusing on in respect of that are all the sort of the companies that are providing, I suppose, providing the pickaxes for the electric or the electrification gold rush. And so there are so many companies that are providing critical technology and infrastructure to enable this electrification to happen across the economy. Now, I know that's a lot there. Hopefully what you've taken from all of that is that there is this very broad opportunity set and we're looking to create this you know, well-diversified uh, portfolio of, of companies that we believe have got the ability to grow and compound over the coming decade because they're aligned with big sustainability issues. Yeah, I mean, just some brilliant examples there. And I guess some of those areas that you touched on are kind of very obvious in the sense that you can see you know, more and more electric cars on the roads. You can see those charging stations as well starting to pop up everywhere as well. But I guess on the less obvious side, who would have thought fiber lasers would make its way into a sustainable fund? So really, really interesting there. Just to, just to finish up, I just wanted to pick up on something you alluded to in the sense that many people are saying that sustainable investing has perhaps already had its day because it has been so topical and increasing in popularity. So how would you respond to that, given the rate of innovation and disruption we've seen in this area, alongside, of course, a significant investment that some companies are making to facilitate the transition to a more sustainable economy and the possible future opportunities that may present for investors as well? So I think I think quite the opposite. I think it's it's just getting started. In fact, we're, we're more excited now than we have been in the last three years um, when we look ahead and look at the decade that we're going to start living through. So I think we've always got to balance the, the short term and the long term. And in the short term, markets are volatile and you have near-term valuations to negotiate. The advantage, I think, of our approach is that we do have the breadth of investment universe such that we can be disciplined when we're looking at valuation levels in the near term. So that is definitely an important part of our process to be disciplined around near-term valuations. However, when we're looking at the growth opportunity ahead of us, we feel very confident that we will be able to generate strong returns over the coming decade by investing in companies that have got the right kinds of goods and services uh, that are aligned with these big sustainability issues. And because of that, they're going to see growing demand for their products and consistent growth. Uh, and, and we believe that compounding growth is what is going to serve 
investors very well. Brilliant. Thanks, Hamish. Some fantastic insight there for our listeners. And we are very grateful indeed for your time today. But we have hit time there, so we'll wrap it up. Keep an eye out for a couple more episodes we're hoping to bring to you over the next few weeks, focusing on innovation relating to technology as well as healthcare. Thanks for listening. And as ever, have a great weekend. All investments can fall as well as rise in value, and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.